0: Everyone, I'm your host Sherry Carroll,
1: and I'm your host Trey Carroll,
0: and welcome to Crime Explorer Shack. hi everyone welcome to crime explorer shack i'm your host sherry carroll
1: and i'm your co-host trey carroll
0: all right trey so you're leaving tomorrow
1: yep and i'm really excited to be going back to school i've been waiting all summer to go back
0: i'm sure you are for uh, those of you who don't know trey is uh starting his senior year at the University of Alabama, majoring in uh, cyber criminology, criminal justice. So um, he may not be on as many episodes um, coming up until um, he gets his car, uh, course load settled and gets settled back into school. So, but we'll have him on as much as we can. Um, So don't worry, he'll still be a part of the podcast in some way, shape, form, or fashion. So um, we're going to bring something new to you today. Um, You know, the last two episodes have been about the Florida School for Boys, and there's no resolution, but we're going to put a twist on it. I'm bringing you a case that does have a resolution. So, uh, Trey, have you heard about um, Jeremy Bechtel and Aaron Foster?
1: Uh, no, I haven't heard about them at all.
0: Okay. They were uh, two teens that went missing uh, in the April 2000, April the 3rd of 2000. Um, I came across this story on TikTok a few months back, and um, it renewed my interest in the missing persons case. So um, I decided to go back in time and find out about the whole story and the circumstances surrounding the disappearance. Because, you know, you were born in 2001 and, you know, I don't remember hearing that much about the case. Um, you know, I, I do remember it seemed like you know, seeing a picture on the news a time or two, especially of Erin, the, the young lady, a uh, very beautiful young girl. But she, um, you know, as far as it being all over the news, you know, like some of the bigger cases we've had lately, it didn't seem to be uh, in the headlines. So um, if y'all hear anything, we've got two Pomeranians. And so our little one, uh, Tara, she has decided she wants to eat in the middle of my podcast tonight. So, so give us, you know, that's probably what you're hearing in the background a little bit. Um, so anyway, on April the 3rd of 2000, two teens were on a Pontiac Grand Prix and they just vanished in the night in Sparta, Tennessee. Aaron Foster was 18, and she was always viewed by her friends and family as the perfectionist, and she was stunningly beautiful. Jeremy Bechtel, he was um, 17 years old, and he was an athlete with a love of rap music. And some of his friends on the Facebook group that I've uh, been in have said that you know he would just break out into a wrap at some of their gatherings and their, uh, you know, their parties and stuff that he was, you know, just kind of carefree. Love to do that. Um, looking at the photos of these kids, reading and watching interviews from their friends and family members, it they were just your typical nineties teens, you know, just the haircuts and just, you know, just your typical all American teen. Um, Aaron was born February 28th, 1982 and Jeremy was born November the 7th, 1982.
1: So were they dating or were they just friends? What were they? Um,
0: they, they had been really good friends and there had been some rumors over the years that the two had begun dating. Um, she had recently, um, you know, broke up with uh, another boy who was, you know, questioned later on in the disappearance, but uh, nothing came of that. Um, but, you know, um, there was rumors that they had begun dating, but they had always been friends. So um, it was a typical day, April the 3rd. It was a Monday. Um Aaron and Jeremy just met up at a friend's house on that uh, evening and decided to leave together around 10 p.m. They were seen getting into her um, 19, I believe it's 1988 or 89. I've read a couple of conflicting stories on the date or the um, year of her car, but um, her black Grand Prix, and they saw them drive away. However, they never made it home. There are so many questions about what happened on that fateful day that they disappeared. Um, the records show that Erin picked up her brother from school and took him home. Um, she, of course, asked her mom, like most kids do, hey, can I go out this evening? I know it's school night. It's a Monday night. Um And, of course, her mom said yes, but don't you know that that decision is a decision and an answer that mom wished that she could change? Um, Of course, her mom, Leanne, said yes, and um, that answer changed the course of all their lives. She had no idea at that moment that this would be the last time that she would see her daughter, Erin. So, Erin left and went to the friend's house just outside of Sparta, and that's where she met up with Jeremy. There were tales that, you know, it was a party, and there are some who said, oh, it's just a few kids that met up at the house and we hung out. But throughout my research, I've never seen an exact number of how many people were at this gathering or if it was just teenagers or if there was a parent or an adult present, I I don't know. Um, At some point late that evening, or later that evening, um, Jeremy called his dad to let him know that he was with Aaron and some other friends. Little did he know that that was the last time that he would speak with Jeremy. Several at that gathering said that they witnessed Jeremy getting into Aaron's um, Pontiac Grand Prix around 10 p.m. And what happened after they drove off, no one knows. We really don't don't have a clue. There are um, several news reports online that say that um, Aaron's mother calls Aaron's dad the next day to say she didn't come home. Um, He tried to reassure her that he was sure Aaron would be home soon. And he said something, you know, that it's just a, you know, teenage thing. Um, There are some reports that said, you know, Aaron had talked about moving off, uh, moving away. Um, But, you know, there was no trouble at home. Um, So he was just, you know, basically told Leanne that it was just teenage behavior, you know, The date, the actual missing persons reports were filed with the police is not clear to me or, you know, I haven't been able to find a clear cut date online. But I've read um, that some places where it says five days, some places where it says seven days, another statement, uh, I believe it was jeremy's dad said something about you know it was like a week so you know that leads me to the seven day mark so i saw um a couple of comments stating that the parents of both Aaron and jeremy were told that it was a teenage thing that the teens had probably just ran off to have a good time and to give it time telling the parents that you know they would show up well, can we, can we just stop for a moment here? I mean, really, how many times have you heard that when you're reading these cases?
1: Uh, pretty much every time.
0: I mean, is there a way that we can finally make law enforcement normalize uh, missing people cases and, and a parent going to report this, please? I mean, can we just stop brushing off family members when they report their loved ones missing? I mean, who knows the missing person better than their home family? So, I mean, please take the damn report and look while you're on patrol. It takes nothing but a few things of ink, a few strokes of a keyboard to enter them in the database, and then you can cancel it out. Nobody says that you have to go out on an all-fire manhunt at that moment in time if you don't feel like it's severe enough. But take the report, put it in, do some follow-up.
1: At least... Yeah, at least put it in. And if they don't come back within the two days, then you can start a manhunt. I think I read somewhere a few, like maybe like two or three months ago that uh, some police stations or whatever were starting to change their policy on that.
0: They need to. That is the most antiquated thinking and, and policy in place that I've ever seen or known. I mean, really. So, anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox there because, you know, I am pro-police. I love police. But some of this department thinking and you get a hold of a bad dispatcher or a lazy officer or an officer that's ready to go home, then, you know, you get that answer. But they're just teenagers they probably just run off. I mean, we know that the first 48 hours are the most critical. So, you know, let's take a take an action, you know, take a a proactive stance and do something.
1: I've never understood why they always say, or I understand why they say the first 48 hours are the most critical, but I've never understood why that same thought doesn't apply to a missing person's case because when it's, you know, when it's a murder, they need all the evidence examined in the first 48 hours because that's when you can still find most of the DNA and stuff on it but the same should be true in a missing person's case. Cause if they've been kidnapped, who knows where they are after 48 hours. Exactly.
0: And then you're telling them, well, you got to wait 24 hours to file a report. Well, you've just killed 24 hours of your first 48. So, you know, which do you want, buddy? Which do you want?
1: I watched a, um, I watched a YouTube video um, a few weeks ago. Um, I can't remember what channel it was on. Um, Oh, it was on this channel called Wendigoon, and he covers, like, conspiracy theories, and then he also does, like, true crime, and he did one where he was examining some of the cases, and this book, it was called Missing DIA or something, I can't remember what it is, but it covers, like, a lot of missing people's cases, and there was one where this family went hiking, and the husband went down to go get something from a—it was on a trail that they knew— And he went down and he was gone for, he was supposed to be back that night and he was gone for over 24 hours. So when they reported it to the police, they said, oh, well, we need it to be like 48 hours before we can do anything. And it was on a hiking trail, a very dangerous hiking trail. That is
0: so crazy. I just don't get it. And they
1: finally found his body two months later, a mile away from where he was supposed supposed to be. be And it was a skeleton at that
0: point. Exactly. Well, the parents reported Aaron and Jeremy missing. And it's also worth noting that neither of these teens had ever ran away. They've never pulled this disappearing act before. So the families knew that this was out of the ordinary for these kids. Okay. Um, Police did keep an eye out on their social security numbers for any possible activity But soon the parents noticed that their last paychecks from their jobs had never been picked up. Neither one of them. Jeremy's mother was an advocate for these teens immediately. She was vocal about finding them. She was, you know, uh, you know, proactive. She was down there at the police department. She stated to the police that for someone to run away, they would need money. And neither Aaron nor Jeremy had any on them. So they, neither one of them had any money and if they were going to flee together, why wouldn't they grab their last paycheck?
1: It doesn't make any sense because teenagers like them, if you want to go somewhere and like start a new life together, yeah, you need money cause you can't, are you, you're just going to camp out in a Grand Prix. I've seen Grand prix, and those are small cars. Yeah. You're not going to camp out in them yeah. until you can get a paycheck.
0: Well, she said she didn't believe that they ever made it outside of White County, Tennessee, which is the county that Sparta sits in. Um, So, you know, there was little to no clues in the disappearance. And soon rumors, of course, small towns, small communities began to circulate and, you know, quote, possible sightings, unquote, around the area popped up. I mean, In in, uh, 2005, 2006, investigators actively searched in Pensacola, Florida, because of rumors that Erin was alive and working there in Pensacola. So, uh, you know, numerous things come up about, you know, seeing them. Um, Even one of these um, rumors of her being in Pensacola come from a retired police officer. So... You know, they had to go and look at this, and I'm glad that they did, but they, it proved not to be her. Numerous wells were dug up in White County, Tennessee, because there had been rumors and tales of uh, the two being murdered and their bodies being dumped in a well, but they didn't know which one. Um, over the years, there was numerous theories and speculations among law enforcement and the whole community as to what happened to Aaron and Jeremy. Um, To name a few, uh, some were saying that, you know, it was a a robbery gone wrong. Um, Another one said that their car plunged into a body of water. Some were saying it was a drug deal gone wrong, but I can't find any reports of them ever being known to do drugs, even by some of their friends on um, social media. Nobody ever knew of them doing any drugs. Um, someone killed him out of jealousy. That's where her ex-boyfriend came into play. And he even made some, uh, some shady comments, you know, about them disappearing. And just, you know, out of the blue, disappearing. And to note, the whole community was out searching for them. He didn't go. Now that's kind of do sketch, don't you?
1: I don't think, think so. Do you do you know what it was that he said?
0: Uh, and there was just some little off-the-wall things that he said. Somebody said something about him burying them on top of another body so that nobody would ever know. So they got to thinking that he may have um, possibly buried them in a freshly dug grave Um in a cemetery and then nobody would ever know, you know, so, um, anyway, like I said, the jealousy thing, uh, then somebody, there was other rumors that they came up on some kind of criminal activity. And then this was the only way the activity, uh, the criminals had to silence them. Um, some speculated it was carjacking. They were killed to take Aaron's car. Um, one was the target and the other was killed just for being there, you know. And then, of course, most believe that they just simply ran off together. Whatever the rumors was, it, nothing ever came of it. it. There always seemed to be a dead end. They always hit a wall. So that was until last winter. Okay. Um, YouTube star, TikTok star, Made uh, made national headlines when he dove deep into decades long mystery of Aaron and Jeremy. Um, After Aaron and Jeremy vanished in two thousand, there had been really no new evidence until Jeremy Bowsides. He came to Sparta and he discovered a car belonging to Aaron underwater in November 2021. Sides creates videos where he uses sonar technology. He dives under water to track down whatever evidence may be underwater for this case. Uh, He he's made it his mission to, you know, help families get some closure to their missing loved ones, you know. Um, so he, like I said, he dives underwater, track down evidence in cold cases with missing people. And he began looking into the teen's disappearance and explored several bodies of water uh, starting November, 2021. White County Sheriff Steve Page was contacted about the search and reached out to um sides um and told him to look into one more site called calfkill river really nice <laughs> Kill Riller, uh, river i'm not even lying calf killer river so okay which runs along the road to foster's home and it's on highway 84 and it's just outside of sparta um on November twenty fourth, Sides posted a YouTube video showing his discovery of the Pontiac Grand Dam belonging to Foster. You can watch this and other cold cases that he's helped with on his YouTube channel called Exploring with a Nug N-U-G. Um now after more than 20 years of speculation, Aaron, Aaron Foster, Jeremy Bechtel's families have laid their teens to rest. Um, But although Major John Meadows said he's keeping this case open, he confirmed there was no evidence of foul play. He's just waiting for everything to come back in because, you know, some of the DNA and uh, autopsy reports, he's waiting for all the final stuff to come in. Um, But the DNA did confirm it was them. The tag number was her car. Um, According to NamUs, which is the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, it is estimated that 4,400 unidentified bodies are recovered each year with approximately 1,000 of those bodies remaining unidentified after one year has passed. Authorities have been able to identify more and more victims over time thanks to family members submitting their DNA when they report their loved one's missing. So, you know, if you know of somebody that is missing or has a loved one missing, you know, tell them to contact NamUs and submit their DNA. We really, you know, we can help solve some of these cases with that. Um, It was noted that I believe it was Jeremy's uncle uh said that jeremy's mother died a couple years ago with cancer so she never got to know the status of what happened to her son this stretch of road at that time did not have a guardrail on it supposedly the police looked In and around different parts of this um, strip of road, Highway 84, and um, they didn't see any skid marks. They didn't see any signs of a a wreck or an accident. Um, But the body, uh, the car was in a body of water there in the Calf Killer River. It was about 12 feet. He's like, People are out there fishing all the time. I can't believe in 20, almost 21 years, nobody saw this car. Nobody. Um.
1: I mean, it, depending on, I, I've never been there, but depending on the color of water, whatever it be. It was a black
0: car and the water, was, yeah, the, the water was, yeah, the water was kind of, from the video, it's kind of murky, kind of dark, but he believes that, you know, the stress and worry over what happened to her child, you know, along with the cancer just was too much. But the police, the sheriff was asked, you know, how, how he felt knowing that the kids were right there, right there where they've searched all around and everything, you know, and um, people had told them they've got to be in the water. I mean, how do two kids in a car completely disappear and stay missing for 20 years? And he said, you know, we're human, we're human. We ask for forgiveness and we learn from it. So they have reopened some other cold cases, and they're starting back from the beginning of those and seeing what evidence they may have looked or missed while they were looking. One of the things that they did, mind you, Sheriff Page was not the sheriff when Aaron and Jeremy first went missing. He was a deputy, but he came on board. uh, He was elected sheriff later on. Um, and he said that they were looking at the opposite end of the county from where the vehicle was found because they were assuming that they were at um, coming from her house. But they left the party coming back to her house. So they were looking at the wrong end of the county, So that's where calf killer river came into play because that would have been her stretch of road to go home. So it was some miscommunication, not following up on the report, not filing the report and looking within the first 48 hours, which is critical. And that's another thing you're going to hear me through my podcast, <laughs> probably every one of them, I'm going to tell you, if you see something, if you know something, say something. Um, but if something's happening to you, be loud. Be loud. If I can assure you, if Trey goes missing, I'm going to be there. They're just going to have to you know, do some paperwork on me because I'm not leaving until they do the paperwork that I'm asking them to do. Somebody somewhere is going to do something. And listen, be loud. Do not be dismissed. There is nowhere that it is a law that you have to wait 48 hours to file a missing persons report. There's no law that says that. You know, you're child your spouse your mother your father you know your loved ones better than anybody else you know their routines
1: i agree you if someone that you know is an acting writer is gone and you haven't heard from them outside of anything of the ordinary say something and have someone look for them or go look for them and don't stop until you can find them
0: yeah, know, know your rights and just um, have a also have the information on your family members. You know, her her family, at least, you know, they knew the tag number and the description of the vehicle. So they had that going for them. Um, they knew she, you know, over these years, their Social Security numbers were not used. Know your Social Security numbers. Um, have a have a missing persons file somewhere where somebody can access your information if you go missing um you know their blood type you know uh, be able to get into their phone records um you know for your safety for their safety have communication so you know know what route somebody's going to be driving if they're um, going away from the house and going to be gone for a little while um, they knew what stretch of road she was going. So that's, that's good. Um, but finally they have after 20 years, Jeremy Bechdel and Aaron Foster's families that are still here have closure. Law enforcement has closure. So we do end on somewhat of a positive note, um, as positive as it can be. Um, You know, it's tragic that two young lives were lost and you don't really have a clear-cut, you know, reason why. Um, Her best friend, Amy, uh, has the Facebook group. And I saw in a video that she did with um, uh, sides who found the vehicle. She did an interview with him and she said that, On that stretch of road in 2000, there were no guardrails, like I said. But um, if you look, she said there was a um, kind of like a waterfall on one side of the road. And when it rained a lot, they usually had to close that road. Tennessee, that happens a lot. But they usually had to close that road because of the river and it would flood. And they had had some rain. And she Erin was driving, it was her car, probably came around that curb right there, at that waterfall, and water was in the road, and she hydroplaned, and it was done. The windows were still up. Um, they were still in the car. Um, they just went off into the water. So, um, you know, I'm glad that their families can finally have some some semblance of peace, and that these, these babies, these teens, are able to rest now. They've been they've been taken home. That they're at peace now. So, um, so that's our episode three. And uh, I just would like to ask if you all are enjoying the podcast. Like, leave a review and share. If you have any suggestions for a case that you would like covered, please email us at crimexplorers at gmail.com. Again, that's Crime explorers, no spaces, all one word, crimeexplorers at gmail.com. And uh, be sure to like and subscribe on any, any place you listen to your podcast. Um, join our Facebook group, um, Be Interactive. We'll be posting different cases on there, some that we're covering on the podcast. Some is going on now. And um, again, if you have a loved one that goes missing, uh, check into NamUs and uh, supply your DNA. And that way they can connect it if they have any unidentified missing bodies. Because usually there is about a 1,000 unidentified bodies found a year in the U.S. So anyway, y'all be safe. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you for listening.